Episode 52, The Rant. Justin Bailey, top-level, up-and-coming basketball official and CEO of Ref's Corner. I'm happy I never got a chance to play against Justin in a game of basketball. Chances are, I wouldn't stand the chance. He discusses his love of playing as a youth, playing for St. Mary's on Long Island, his collegiate career, and how it structured him, and his love for officiating and his brand, Ref's Corner. All that and more, my conversation with Justin, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah. Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.land, code REFEREERANT. The Rant has been brought to you by the revolutionary product for referees and all professionals alike, Neat Tucks. What the tuck? Traditional shirt stays have been tried and true, but never accounted for those professionals that have shorts as uniforms. What do you do when you officiate soccer or lacrosse or even basketball in the summer? Don't forget about baseball umpires, too. Enter Neat Tucks, which come in style and active versions. Don't get it twisted. You can even wear them at your 9 to 5, too. Listeners of The Rant can visit neattux.com and enter the coupon code REFEREERANT, one word, and receive 20% off your initial order. That's REFEREERANT, one word. Happy tucking. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a special guest, Ref Corner's owner and operator, Justin Bailey. What's up, man? Thanks for having me here. My man. Um, so I met him three months ago. Yeah, Just three about. months ago, we had, a, we had a game of Chaminade. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm making a website. And I got all this stuff, and you're like, funny you should say that. I have my own clothing <laughs> line, and it turned out to be Ref Corners. Ironically enough, that night, um, I left the gym, and I don't know where you went afterwards, but we had a JV game, and there was a varsity game after at Chaminade. Uh, my car got hit, so the bumper came off, and there was a, uh, a note on my, my windshield, and it said, um, the owner wasn't available to call. Did I tell you this? You told me briefly. <laughs> so it said it said the owner wasn't available to call. I was like, obviously, because I was refing the game, and yeah. it said there was an accident. So it was an accident report. So I'm looking around my car, and then I'm like, everything is fine, until I looked at my bumper, and it was it was off. But they ended up paying me $4,000. It got like $1,200 to fix, so at least it's all right. I'm honest about it. Yeah, man. But, I mean, that's that's the difference. If that happened in a Catholic school game in the city, yeah. and I was in the middle of the Bronx, forget it, but... We were at Chaminade, and I got hit by the St. John the Baptist bus. Yeah. So they did the right thing. But um, anyway, man, welcome to the show. I said thanks for having me. No problem, man. So I just wanted to start about your origins of playing sports when you were growing up. What did you play? What did you gravitate towards? Um, just talk about that journey growing up. Well, my first sport, honestly, was baseball. I was a little heavier when I was younger. I was short and heavy. So baseball, but then growing up in South Jamaica, baseball isn't that popular. Everyone plays basketball. Right. So when I was around like eight or nine, basketball, I lived down the block from the park. So I had a basketball every morning. I would go out there, play with my friends, and basketball was my main sport. At high school, I did track a little bit, cross country, and I had one do lacrosse. The coach kept begging us, but our basketball coach would not let us do anything at all. He said, I don't want y'all doing any other contact sports. Basketball is your only thing. 
because he wanted to prevent you from preventing yourself of getting hurt, correct? Of course. Cool. So you ended up going to St. Mary's, which is a, um, I can't even say that it's a rival of Kellenberg because <laughs> um, I know when I was in high school, Sham and I was our rival because we're from the same branch of schools. And obviously now St. Anthony's is a big deal, but St. Mary's was always one of those schools that they were always so good. They were always deep. They always had division one talent and you got a scholarship at that school. Yes. Cause I met the coach for St. Mary's when I was at a camp, I think like in seventh, eighth grade, he approached me, Hey, where are you going to school at? I said, honestly, I don't know. I'm in, mid, I mean, junior high school still, I focused on that. Say, hey, I'm coach at St. Mary's, take my number down. And then from there, we spoke, did my SAT stuff. He got, I did my Catholic exam test. And then he saw my results from that. He said, hey, we get your scholarship here, get your all that stuff done. And whatever the, the scholarship can't cover, basketball, should be able to take over from there. So from there, I was able to get a free ride to St. Mary's. But funny part is, my first year there, the coach left for varsity. Mm. So the coach that brought me in here is going down. But lucky enough, my AAU coach was the freshman coach. Oh. So you kind of recruited my whole starting five. Okay. So, and you already had a nice chemistry with them and... Because we grew up playing together. That must have been great. <laughs> it was fun. So freshman year was like a standout season where you're... And one thing I wanted to, um, you know, kind of talk about was... I know for me, I went to Kellenberg in seventh and eighth grade and it was a violent change from the neighborhood that I was from. Now, I'm not necessarily from Jamaica, but I'm from a neighborhood that's similar to that, as close as it can be from Long Island. So what was your adjustment period like going to a Catholic school with, with people that you, you might never see? And I know for me, I was like, first white person I met was in seventh grade. And it was like a shock to me because, you know, the only white people that I knew were my teachers. Yeah. And now, now they're my peers and I didn't know how to act around them. And the thing is, I know when I went to elementary school, the way you made fun of people was like, oh, he's not wearing, he's not wearing cool gear. Yes. Like when you're wearing the same thing, that's, that's just completely eliminated <laughs> out of making fun. So tell me about your adjustment period going to Catholic school and how you felt as being a basketball player and what that did for you in terms of popularity. It was a complete adjustment because, as you say, having to wear a uniform every day now, having to commute almost two hours on bus. Cause I have to take two and a half buses wow. every day just for school. And then a lot of people that I met, I was the first black friend. Mm. So a lot of times what they see about black people is from the news. So right. it's violent, things like that. And they're like, oh, you're actually peaceful. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, because everything we hear about you is negative. Right. And you're kind of the opposite. So that kind of was like a culture shock for me. So just experiencing that and then trying to always not be that negative thing they, that they betrayed me as. And actually being smart, getting good grades, and then playing basketball, being an athlete that still got good grades. Just trying to always try to be that. Because that was always confusing me. Like, hey, how can you be from South Jamaica, Queens, black and an athlete and still get good grades and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. So just staying focused was like one of my main goals in high school. Did it open up your mind too for you to be open-minded of saying, hey, these type of people aren't as bad as I thought they would be? <laughs> yes, because I always thought they was... Rich and stuck up. Right. That neighborhood is really rich. And everybody, BMWs, driving school at 15, 16. Like I said, where I'm taking two and a half, three buses, these kids are driving up in BMWs, Lexuses. I'm like, wow. That's how the other side lives. Mm -hmm. But it was just, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. That's good. It gave me a lot of things to kind of shoot for. In my future, like, hey, I kind of want to live this lifestyle and have certain things. Mm. That's very interesting. So I wanted you to walk me through your junior and senior year because obviously you were on the varsity team. Um, my experience at varsity at, at Kellenberg was that we were really good 
uh, my junior year, but I never played because I was always nervous. You know, I would kill them in practice, but then when it came to like the, the real games, mm -hmm. you know that type of pressure in yeah. the Catholic League. It's serious. Um, and I do remember that we, we would have some success, but we played St. Mary's, we would lose by like 40 points <laughs> every single time. So it would always be like, you know, hopefully we could beat Chaminade, hopefully yeah. we could beat St. Anthony's, but we always, almost always never have a chance with St. Mary's. And then my senior year, we won one game against St. John the Baptist, and we definitely got destroyed by St. Mary's. And I remember we lost by like 50 points, and like half of our team got ejected. We only had six players, and I was like the last person on the bench. I still didn't play. <laughs> still didn't play. So tell me about your, your junior and senior year, and uh, ultimately how you ended up getting recruited and ultimately playing in college. Well, briefly going back, at my freshman year, I was say, I weren't, my whole AU team came into St. Mary's. So our freshman year, we were undefeated, took the championship. My sophomore year, played varsity, we were terrible. But then my junior and senior year was my main freshman core again. We knew how each other played. Our junior year, we went to States. And then my senior year, we were 29-1 with the Federations. Mm. So we always had that chemistry with each other. Mm -hmm. And it was just fun to play. Cool. And then this part was like real humbling. Like junior year, I started getting letters from schools and stuff, inquiring. I remember my first letter was from Queens College. And it's like, hey, we saw you play. Can you give us a call? And we can speak a little more. And then I went down for a visit and stuff. And I brought my whole family because my first time having a visit. Right. I'm excited and things like mm -hmm. that. Showed me the campus and stuff. And then we started speaking offers and stuff. And I was like, wow, like I'm really about to make it and stuff. So that was my junior year. Then I heard from like Adelphi and Mercy. And then my senior year, I sprained my ankle. Mm. And mind you, junior year and being a senior year, these coaches are every all my games, some of my practices. So they see me every time. And then they saw me on crutches. And they were like, hey, what happened? I'm like, oh, it's a minor sprain, don't worry. One week goes by, two weeks go by, and I'm still on crutches and they keep inquiring. And then they stopped showing up to my games. Wow. So I'm like, what's going on? Because I'm back to playing again by playing with taped ankles, braces, all that stuff. And then I said to come in our games less and less. And I'm like, what's going on? I call one of them. They say, yeah, honestly, we don't have the budget anymore. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. They go from being all over me to your, your yesterday's news. That's mm -hmm. really humbling. Because I remember like turning away certain schools. I'm like, yo, bet. I'm going to Queens College. That's the first school that reached out to me. Right. I'm committed to them. And that's exciting in and of itself that you're getting recruited and, and you're not even finished with school. Exactly. Not in all the whole process of I could commit, write down my commitment and then decommit that whole process. I wish I had known in hindsight because I would have committed, secured everything and then worried about the rest from there. Mm. But I was always kind of waiting like for that D1 offer to fully commit to. But because of my injury, that never happened. Right. So do you think that that injury, I mean, aside from all of the scholarship offers, do you think that translated to you lacking confidence initially when you got back on the court? Of course. I was really timid. I wasn't as explosive. So I'm scared to get hurt again. Right. That was my first major injury ever playing basketball. And I played basketball growing my whole life. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of, I said, not as explosive. I might not have been as quick. So I might be slow on my step now until I got fully into playing with no braces and stuff again, which didn't happen until college. Something to that, always had taped ankles, I was scared what happened again. So I guess that kind of made my game take a step back. And at hindsight, I wish I would have just toughed it out better, but hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, and, and you're talking about it like, you know, almost 10 years later, so obviously yeah. you would do things differently. <laughs> I would do a lot of things differently too, and I think, you know, in terms of something that me and you can relate to, you know, even though you had a lot of success with going to state your junior year, being undefeated freshman year, 
um, and ultimately going to federations and also getting all of these college and scholarship opportunities for college, um, you know, I could always think about what if I had the same mindset that I have right now playing at Kellenberg? What, what could I have done? But at the same time, whatever we're doing now in terms of officiating, that's what we put our all to because that's how much me and you love the game, correct? Exactly. Um, so let's talk about where you ultimately ended up in college and discuss your college career. So ultimately ended up at Farmingdale State College. It's crazy because, as I said, I was still trying to figure everything out after my senior year. I didn't register for Farmingdale. Mm-hmm. Mind you, the coach was calling me every day to some, hey, you coming right, you still coming. Because I had to figure out what schools on a D3 level can package me the most money. Because I don't want to be in crazy debt coming out of college. Right. And that also still had my major. So I had to try to figure out, hey, what school can best put me in that situation. And Farmingdale was the best one. The coach would call me every day. Hey, don't worry. I got you. I got you with everything. You're going to come in play right away. I didn't actually register for Farmingdale until a week before classes start. And I looked on our roster at Farmingdale. They had people born like 88, 89. I'm born in 93. So I'm like, oh, they must not have updated that website. And the coach says, I'm going to play start right away. I get to our first team meeting. It's like 20-something guys there. And they were born in 88, 89. They grown men. Mm-hmm. I'm fresh 18, coming out of high school. Like, what is this? And basically, my coach's mindset was, because he's not giving out actual basketball scholarships, I could over-recruit and they're going to cut themselves. So there's times when practice where we had fist fights to get into scrimmages to see who was just more hungry for it. Mm. My coach let that happen. And you either toughed it out or you quit. And that's how basically he formed his roster every year. So you basically grew up doing that. Yes. And then at the end of session, the halfway through the school season, he'll bring in a bunch of D2, D1 fail-offs. Hey, here's the rest of your new team. So he had to recompete again. So he always just competing and competing. So my first year was really tough just getting acquainted with all of that. So I came off the bench, but we went to the to, to the 64 for that. We went to the, to the D3 NCAA tournament, got to the second round. That was a really cool experience. I saw six, seven point guards at the D3 level. Wow. But they were just rocket scientists, crazy smart, which is why they went at D3 school. Mm. But still had the D1, D1 talent. talent. And I was like, wow, that's really crazy. So I said, I came off the bench my freshman year, started my sophomore through senior year, and I was captain my junior year to senior year. And we had a coach change my junior year. That was another experience because starting over with a new coach, he didn't recruit you, he didn't want you here, but you had to still play in that system. Mm. And then I'm doing all of this while managing computer science as a major, which is a hard major. That's a lonely major because a lot of people in that field aren't that social, so I don't have much you can turn to for help. So I had to balance going to practice, balance my studies, and then... As part of my scholarship for Farmingdale, I was already there, which was a resident assistant. So I had to look over the dorms to help pay my tuition. So at the, at the end of the night, I had to do my job as an RA also. So I was always just busy, busy, busy. And then my senior, which was also another humbling experience, and which kind of introduced me to the real world, my coach, because I was playing like 30, 35 minutes beginning of my senior year. And then I started playing like 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, hey, coach, what's going on? Like, I pushed him in his office because I stayed respectful. He said, honestly, it's, it's our rebuilding phase right now. You'd only seen that plays. Look at them used to playing without you. And actually sitting down and hearing that, like, wow, that's messed up. But that's what's best for the team. That's what's best, that's what's best for the future of the program. 
and I have to accept that. So in life, you have certain situations where it might be best for the, for the company you're working at, but not best for your certain situation. And you have to kind of accept it or move on from there. Would you say out of all of the things that you've been through up until that point, um, your experience at it's Farmingdale State, yes. right? Your experience playing at Farmingdale State and that coach, do you think that made you grow up really quickly? Yes. Because it sounds like he gave you a lot of lessons where you couldn't understand at the time and he was able to verbalize it. And what I call that is he stabs you in the front, right? He's, <laughs> yes. tell, he's telling you in real time, like, nah, that's not for you. Or, you know, just the fact that senior year, you're still getting minutes, but you're not going to be here next year. Yeah. So I, I, you've already had your turn. So, and that must have been hard for you too. But at the same time, how much is that... Um, helped you to be a man now? Helped me a lot. Like, it's going through adversity and thinking long-term instead of just short-term. Because short-term, I'm thinking, why well, is not trying to win the rest of the season? He knows what's best for the future of the team. So that's what he has to do. But as a player at that time, I wasn't seeing that. Mm. But actually getting it verbalized to me, as you said, I was able to sit down and think, that's messed up for me, but for the future, right. that's what's best. Right. So... One thing I wanted to ask about is that um, after you finished Farmingdale State, that must have been a weird thing for you only because basketball has been such a big part of your life. What happened to you at 22 after you were all said and done at Farmingdale State? What, were, what was your next step? Did you enter the professional life and say, wow, I have no basketball. I have no, <laughs> no organized ball to account for. Did you get your fill in an adult league? or? So I still played in like the semi-pro leagues and adult leagues and stuff like that fresh out of college. But I don't want to go to like overseas rocks. I have a lot of friends that went overseas for like two or three years, but they came back home. Right. And they ended up coming back um, kind of like in a deficit because yes. they, they wasted that, not wasted that time, but tried to pursue the dream and realized something that most people already know that it's not going to work out. Yeah. So instead of having that happen to me, especially because they were at higher levels to start with, starting at D3 level at my height, it's a lot harder. So realistically, I had to try to do what's best for me. And then so I had to kind of put the, the hoop dreams on a back burner, say, hey, I got my career in check and things like that. So as I said, I was still playing in like semi-pro leagues and stuff like that. And then one of the officials who grew up officiating me approached me like, hey, what are you doing now? At that time, I was unemployed still, trying to find a job in my field. I said, honestly, I'm not working. I'm just playing basketball and doing my little side hustles. He said, hey, why don't you try to be an official? You must have looked at him like he was completely crazy because <laughs> I know for me, before you even go on, dude, I hated refs, man. You know, for you, you've always played in the AAU circuit. I've always played at Coast Lake Park in Baldwin, right? So when I got a little load of the refs and I do a little couple of things, and my favorite team are the early 90s Knicks. So, you know, <laughs> I, I like doing a little flagrant halves. Yeah. I get two quick fouls, and I'm like, yo, this guy never wants me to play, and it'd be the same refs. So I, I And that's that really is... The genesis or, or the, if, if I had to summarize my Kellenberg career, two quick fouls every time. I, <laughs> I couldn't even stay on the court. You know, and they would try to tell me, like, you can't yeah. play D like that, but I never got the lesson. So um, that's how I felt about officials, and, and I'm pretty sure you felt the same way. Exactly. But one of my coaches growing up, Ira Hunt, through AAU program, he kind of disciplined us, where you can't talk about the referees. It's my job as a coach to talk to referees. It's your job as a player to play. If he spoke back to a referee or like yelled at him or even got a tech, he's sitting on the bench. Like there's times where he'll lose a game to prove a point to you where you ought to be disciplined in life. And that's more of thinking long term where at that point I'm not seeing it, but 
But <clears throat> going down the line, he's trying to tell you in life, there's times to talk and times not to talk. Mm. And having like respect for the authoritative figures and things like that. Right. So that's like one of the coaches that had a big part of my early life of just being disciplined. But certain reps, I think, oh, they're cheating and stuff like that. And then in college, I kind of was more open to asking a referee a question like, hey. Well, they were more high level too. Of course. And they, they were more professional as well. But I, I'll say for you is that you you probably, as a player, you know, it's kind of like, it's like you'll eat at McDonald's, but you you ain't going to work <laughs> at McDonald's. Of course. You're going to play ball, but you you ain't going to wear that shirt. That shirt looks stupid. Them pants look dumb. Like, <laughs> you're going to do that for real? So what made you start being receptive to saying, you know what? This might be a situation, and then tell me what your first experience was officiating. Okay, so back to my college days, my junior year, they tried to introduce intramurals onto our campus. And being the basketball captain, the guy kind of came to me first to kind of help him out. Because I would know all the local people and things like that that stayed on campus. And I'll be able to get some of my basketball friends to maybe help. So my first officiating experience was officiating intramurals. And you realized at that moment how hard it was, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I don't even know uh, which way people are going. I don't know what the score is. Boy. And b- back then, because intramurals, I had a collared referee shirt. I tried to wear that same referee shirt to my class for actual officiating. <laughs> and I was joked out the building. I was like, what are you doing, football? So, as I said, I started doing intramurals in college. And then that was my first exposure to it. But after, after I finished college, I'm like, Psh, I'm never going to do this again. It was a nice nice little run, nice little income when I was in college, but I'm never going to do this again. And then, as I said, someone approached me who officiated me growing up, introduced me to the idea again. Then I took his class, and then from there, got certified, and now I'm here. So tell me about your first experience after you got certified. So where did they throw you in the fire? Did you get thrown <laughs> in the fire? Did I? That's the thing. He started me off first with, like, little kids one week. It's my bad. This is easy. And you're feeling yourself. You're like, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. Little kids ain't gonna talk back to me. Right. And then maybe my first month in, say, yeah, go to Canarsie. I'm like, what? And then bad start. Different parts. And I'm from Queens. I don't. We don't go to Brooklyn. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> so he threw me to the fire quick. And I'm doing high school and adult leagues. So I'm seeing a lot of things. Got interactions early. And then. Going back to just regular high school games, things a lot easier. Way easier, the right? The atmosphere is not as uptight and stuff. Uh, there's summer tournaments where the crowd of stuff is right next to you. So you're hearing threats and stuff right in your ear. So going from that to hearing people, hearing parents yell in the crowd, hey, you follow my son? It's funny, right? It's a lot easier to tune out. Let me ask you something. So your experience doing all of those adult leagues and, and going all over Brooklyn, did you at one point in time start to say, wow, I used to do this to the refs. You know what? Maybe maybe, maybe I should chill out and maybe you, you, you kind of like atone for all of your sins from as a player. And I'm not saying that you were going crazy, but yeah. now you can empathize. And now, now you see the art that it takes to, you know, calm somebody down, say the right things in the right moment, right? Yes. Like Would a lot say- of times I probably thought a referee is just targeting me, but maybe I was doing something wrong all the time, or he didn't see that foul that happened, maybe he was out of position. And as an official now, I see that that's probably what happened. Mm-hmm. Being out of position as an official, you do miss things, especially in a fast-paced game. So that helped me empathize to the other side now, like, this is what's happened my whole life. Right. So after all of those experiences, and then going back to, you know, doing high school games and, and school-controlled games, 
when do you think was the moment that you wanted to start taking it serious? And then after that, what did you do in terms of officiating? Honestly, I thought maybe nice little side money. But then I had people tell me, you might have a future in this. And hearing people, different people in my ear all the time, like, may I have an actual future in this? I'm like, why not pursue this? It's another challenge for me. I like challenges in my life. I'm done playing, so keeps me around the sport. Why not try to take this to a high level and see what happens from there? Um, do you still play or no? <laughs> yes and no. I'll play in a few men's leagues in the summertime, but it kind of hurts me to play because I can't move how I used to move. Mm. Like, mentally, I try to do a move. And my body's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think mentally is what's holding you back because you say, if you do start training to do those type of moves, then it conflicts with your with your refereeing. And I think that, you know, you're always going to, and, and I know for me, I'm kind of thinking about playing, but if I'm going to play, I'm going to play like 40%. Exactly. I'm going to do some old man moves. And if I miss, I'm like, hey, this I'll is not my thing. I'll be a lot smarter about it. A lot more just jump shots. Eh, I'm not going to drop to the basket here. Not risk that. Um, so... Also, with when it comes to officiating, I know you started a brand called Ref Corners. How'd you even get started with that, um, and where do you want to go with that? Well, I first started with that, honestly, I was fresh out of college. I was introduced to the idea officially about officiating, and then I'm like, okay, cool. I always been like a fly guy, but I'm unemployed now. I got to buy referee gear, and I'm trying to buy compression shirts. Nike wants $30, Under Armour wants $40, and I'm like... I can't afford that. Mm. So then I said, but Walmart, I got the little, little starter Walmart shirts. After two or three games, Vert, I'm like, damn, buy another one. You better than me, because after half the game, I'm like, already? <laughs> <laughs> another one, same thing, same thing kept happening again. I'm like, man, I'm stuck now. Like, I want to look good on the court, but I can't afford it. So I sacrifice, because I can't afford to look good. So I said then, hey, why don't I start, start something Bottom line is how much money and time it takes to actually start a brand like that. So I saved up for three, four years. And finally, middle of last year, I felt I had enough to actually start it. I said I'm going to start a high-quality clothing brand at affordable prices so that officials who can't afford the Nike things can still look good on the court. Mm. And most importantly, it's high-quality where it's not a Walmart brand that's going to rip on you right away. That's always been my main goal. My mission is to make sure you're looking good at an affordable price. Right. So where do you see it going in the future now that it's it's got its footing? Where do you see it going um, as you progress in your career? Hopefully, as I keep networking and expanding, I hope that maybe a few stores could pick it up, go to a few trade shows and see what happens from there, get some maybe like a Models and Sports Authority to sporting goods stores. Because right now, there is no other sporting goods that's just for referees. So I'm trying to make a brand that's just for referees by referees. Mm. Nike and Armour is just for athletes. Ruff's Corner is for referees. So I said, made for referees, by referees. It's the only brand right now that's like that. Very cool, man. Um, one thing I did want to ask you is that you have been, you, you've had the fortunate circumstance to, to continue to play at a high level. And now, you know, I met you in the Catholic League in Long Island as well as the Catholic League in the city, which is, you know, arguably the best basketball in the country, pound for pound, night in, night out, right? Um, how do you think you playing at a high level has helped you officiate at a high level? Do you think that it's helped you leaps and bounds of, you know, knowing as a player the nuances of what people are trying to do? Because some people don't have that feel like you and I. Some people are just, you know, 
taking the class and they never played and they don't perceive the information. So how do you think that's helped you? It's definitely helped me a lot. It's helped me have a patience on the court because I wanted to play develop, aesthetical enough the touch foul out there, let him drive to the basket, get the foul at the basket, that way he can shoot his two shots. And I've seen a million walks playing and officiating, so I know how every walk's gonna look at this point. I know how every jab step, Clayton calls for this a lot, my jab step and then pick my other foot up before I dribble the ball. When I have best to me officiating now, I know to call that right away. Right. And then officiate, I mean, then playing at a higher level, you gotta trust your teammates. I know if I drive to the basket, my teammates gonna be in the corner, I could pass to him, he's gonna be open. Officiating, I trust your partners. Where if something's happening on my partner's side, I trust him to get the call. I'm not gonna try to reach over and then question his judgment. I'm gonna trust him just to get that. Then also, my coach used to say, last play, next play. If you mess a layup this play, next play, don't try to compensate for it by going extra hard. You're gonna mess yourself up. But officiating, if you miss a travel, the next play down, don't make a bad call trying to compensate for that because that's when the whole makeup call thing happens mm. and it's obvious. So just those little things gotta help me translate from playing to officiating at higher levels. That's some really good advice, man. Super good advice. Um, so after all of the things that you said, what do you think it's gonna take to get to, um, well, what do you think are the attributes that got you to where you are right now in this moment in time with ref corners and, and officiating? Honestly, a lot of sacrificing. Like my average day during the school season now is get up at 4.30, go to the gym, go to work in the city, then go to my school game, go home, eat dinner, sleep, repeat. So I can't always go out partying and stuff. I don't have the same social life that I once had. Like growing up in college, I used to play video games. I bought an Xbox last Christmas, the new one, because my old one, I felt it was getting dusty and stuff. I haven't taken out the box yet. Mm. So those little things I had to sacrifice something in long term now. Now that I'm older, being long term, what's best for me to help build me up, to put me in a place that in the future I'll be good. What do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go and where do you want to go in officiating? My main goal is I to take things into little time blocks. Because right now I'm only 25. I'm trying to be D1 by 40. So I'm trying to be D3 within the next five years and then be D2 within the next 10 years and then take it to D1 within 15 years. What's your summer looking like in terms of uh, progressing towards that goal? My summer right now, I've been doing program for the past couple of years, so I'm keep doing that just to get the pro experience, seeing players. Because when you see a, an adult do a move and then see a high school player do a move... You can interpret it faster. Yes. Just, just like you motion. said about... Yeah. Mm -hmm. I so much used to make that same call. Right. So I'll keep doing those tournaments and then be very selective about the other tournaments I do high school-wise. Because in the past, because I've been so money-hungry, which is also a problem, but I've been so money-hungry, I've been getting bad habits, been getting any game I can get, especially when I was first starting. But now being more selective where the competition isn't that good, I don't want to get bad habits from that tournament. Right. Because a lot of times you do bad games for game flow management, you can't call every single thing. Right. This game's never going to flow. Well, it's a pivotal moment for you and me that we have to always be not necessarily selective because sometimes your game that you have is the game that you have. We have to get outside of ourselves and make sure that we do the right thing at all times, especially somebody like me and you who want to elevate at the collegiate level. Exactly. Would you say that's another, correct? Yes. Yeah, so another part of that is watching other officials who are at that level and seeing what they're doing and picking up little tidbits. Like this year, I went to the CUNY Championship and just picking up what like Mike Flurry or Mike Palau was doing, I could add that to my game to hopefully make me reach the level they're at. Mm. So just those little things to help build my game 
so I could reach that level one day. Um, who would you say were your mentors of you from up until this point? And how do you think it's going to help you when people after you uh, seek your advice in the future or even now? Officiating or in life? In officiating. <laughs> and officiating, definitely Mike Flurry is the first person because, fun fact, I used to go to some camp with Mike Flurry when we were younger. And then when I was in college, he used to do some of my Farmerdale games. And then after, after that, I always reached out to him. Like, hey, what do you feel about this situation, about this tournament, things like that. And it kind of helped put me in the right direction. And then about a year ago, I met Mike Palau, who was also at a high college level. He kind of also helped me get into certain situations. Like, hey, I think you might call this play different. Come check out my game here. So you can learn about this, this, see how, did, how I react to this situation, how I react to coaches. And those are my main two mentors, honestly. And how do you think that's going to help you when you – at some point become a mentor to other people after you? Just being humble enough to give back. Because I met Mike Palau doing CYO games. Right. And I'm like, why are college officials still doing CYO? But it's just that part of being humble still and giving back to the next generation. I think what's interesting about what you just said is that you see a Division One referee or a collegiate referee still doing CYO. And where we were at the time, you start thinking like, I don't think I would do that if I was a Division One referee. But now, I think somebody like me and you realize they still get back to the community. They're still open with their information. And it's kind of surprising in the beginning that you think that, you know, once you get to that level, you kind of cut off communication. But that's not the case. They continue to keep building their network under them because I think that's what helps them continue to elevate even more. And, you know, I just think one of these things is that as much of me and you are in competition, we're not really not in competition because I'm trying to be a Division One women's official. Yeah. Right? But that doesn't mean that we're not going to do our best and put our f- best foot forward when we do a game. But, you know, I just think what I'm trying to say is that there's just so many opportunities that you shouldn't feel insecure about somebody else's success in this game because there's just so many opportunities. That's the other part. Differentiating competition from motivation. Because a lot of people, when I was first started officiating, the older referees... They don't give me any advice at all. They got territorial on you. Yes. They're like, this guy's coming to take my job. Right. Why would I help him out? So having officials that actually opened up, like, hey, this is how you go better your game, that was, I really liked that a lot. Because mm. I didn't get that a lot when I first started out. Right. A lot of them, young guy, young athletic guy, he's going to take my job. I'm not helping him out at all. Right. Now, what I think about, what's interesting about what you just said is that I think when you're first starting off, you're competing with the start start off type jobs yes right but once you get past that 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 level and you get to the upper crust the same type of people that you think that you can lean on are really the people that are going to pull you up yes exactly i'm I'm happy that we're both at that level now (laughs) um so describe the stickiest situation that you've ever been in officiating honestly the one situation probably was when i first was starting out roughing and bed size and stuff and hearing threats like yo if you make this call again you're not gonna make it to your car and that's when i gotta choose my life or the game and as i said i'm happy now that i've established enough where i don't put myself in those situations so that's one part then the other part is because i'm so young still and i do program games a lot of people that i officiate are players that i played with or against mm-hmm. as well as coaches because i was in a circuit so much a lot of coaches are still coaching so I'm doing their games, and they want me to do a favor for them. Like, hey, you got to call those. I'm doing what's best for the game. I'm not going to put the integrity of the game in jeopardy 
for a friendship. And as a friend, you got to understand that or you're not really my friend. So you're kind of more excited to grow up, like get older in terms of officiating, not that you want to get older. <laughs> Would you say that's correct? Yes, definitely. At some point, it'll it'll catch up. Don't worry. But uh, don't, <laughs> don't rush that. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your best moment in officiating thus far in your early career? Uh, probably I have two. My first time doing a Rucker game because I grew up going through that system, playing out Rucker, and that's always been a mecca. Rucker Park, Rucker Park. So my first time doing that probably two years ago. And then this past season, I did the Varsity Beach Championship. Mm. So just that atmosphere, being selected for that, that was really big for me. Um, so last thing that I did want to ask, well, I got two kind of things. Um, are you going to dabble in more sports? And, you know, I always try to encourage other people that are just basketball officials to branch out because you never know what kind of connections you can make in your brain in order for you to even become a better basketball official. And then in turn, you know, not getting burnt out and kind of learning new skills. So have you ever thought about getting through other sports? Right now, I just started doing lacrosse, actually. Girls How was lacrosse. That? <laughs> and I did a foot of reason of I don't want to get burnt out of basketball. I'm enjoying it right now. I have passion for it. I don't want to get burnt out and then have to leave the game alone because I'm just tired of it. So right. I started Girls Across, and it's a totally different experience. <laughs> you Are you enjoying it? Yes, I definitely am right now. It's pretty fun, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm <laughs> taking the girls' class next year. I'm already a boys' official, but I'm going to take the girls' class and see if I can see what I can do with that. <laughs> um, and then you have any final words before we part ways? This has been great, man. Well, first, I want to thank you for having me. I shot to be like, you do 10 sports. <laughs> <laughs> it's been humbling to like reflect on different parts of my life because a lot of times you're moving so fast that you don't get to sit down and think about where you came from all the time. Yeah, man. So just to be able to reflect on high school and stuff like that and see where, where how that's made me the person I am today, I, I love this opportunity that you gave me. Yeah, man, and I think this was an opportunity to not only, you know, revere the things that you've already accomplished uh, thus far, you know, I don't normally have these conversations with a young man that I see has a lot of potential. So first and foremost, I have always recognized what you possessed in yourself. And I'm happy that you already recognized that for yourself. But you never know. Somebody that's a freshman at, in St. Mary's might already have the mind of saying, you know what? Instead of playing, I might get into this when I'm 18. And they might get a head start. And they might get inspired by somebody like you to take the game of officiating easier. So I thank you. Um, I look forward to to growing and start doing PSAL and CHSAA games in the city with you. Um, and I'm, I'm just excited to see how far you get. And, you know, I, th I think that you're selling yourself short. I think you're going to be Division One well before you turn 40 <laughs> years old, man. Gotta always stay humble, man. So for Ref Corners, Justin Bailey, this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Rant. We're signing out. See you later. Peace.